Thank you, Stephanie, for um, talking out this morning, sharing what you had, because it, it confirmed in my heart my message um, this morning. And, um, yeah, it's just wonderful when that happens and uh, when, when Holy Spirit is, is working through situations and, um, yeah, what we have this morning. I'm going to pray for you all now as well. I pray that you, as each and every one of you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. So receive that one, yeah. Okay, so I could entitle my talk this morning, um, The Greatest Commandment, The Doctor Will See You Now. That's intriguing, perhaps. Hopefully it is anyway. But um, that's what I'm going to call it. So, um, And the greatest commandment, of course, can be found um, when Jesus speaks in Matthew 23, 34 to 40. So you can find that in your Bible if you want to follow it. And um, the background to this is that Jesus is being quizzed by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And... Um, The Sadducees had um, been trying to trick Jesus about um, legal things regarding marriage after the resurrection. They were trying to trick him, and uh, they didn't manage, of course. So we read from verse 23, sorry, verse 34 in Matthew 23. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what, what are your initial thoughts when you hear that, when you hear the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind? It could be an uncomfortable uh, silence. You could be feeling perhaps, oh my goodness, is he looking at me? Um, but if I'm pointing the finger at anyone, remember when you point the finger at people, you have three fingers pointing back at you, don't you? And uh, please, if you hear anything, hear that I'm preaching to my own situation this morning as well as to people here. So when we read about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, I think it says in strength in Deuteronomy as well. The word love isn't this kind of wishy-washy love. It's not the philo love that we sometimes read about as a, a Greek translation. But the word love in this particular passage is supposed to be a strong commitment of devotion that is directed by the will and can be commanded as a duty. And that's why we find it in the greatest commandment. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if we were to love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. 
ask yourself the question, what would you look like and what would hope look like? What would visitors to the CAF experience when they come in? Now, I think I've got to say at this point that visitors to the CAF, when they come in, experience the love of God. And uh, I've heard lots and lots of testimonies. Um, you know, when I've been down here, you know, maybe it's at the healing rooms or on a Sunday morning, of people coming into the centre, experiencing just a wonderful presence here, experience love and kindness and compassion from people here. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic to hear those stories. And maybe you're someone sat here this morning has experienced that and you could give a testimony and say, yeah, I'm here because of the people that were sharing God's love with me. So it's uh, lovely and, and hopefully that's an encouragement to the people that work down here. But what does it actually mean to love God with all our heart, soul and mind? How do we actually do this stuff? Maybe you're one of the people that's feeling a little uncomfortable, I don't know. Maybe I am feeling a bit uncomfortable. You know, is this something that we can achieve? Is this something that um, is just words? Is this just something that we read in the Bible and we kind of move on and go to the next bit? Something that we can understand. Well, can I offer, just as a starting point, a few things that I believe loving God with all your heart, soul and mind isn't? And then we'll look at perhaps uh, what it is. So it's not religious obligation as a starting point. It's not doing things just for the sake of it to look good, maybe. Um, all these things like um, giving to the poor, giving money to the church, you know, continue to do all those things. But um, that's not necessarily loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind if it's not done with the right attitude. In fact, the Bible says, doesn't it, that um, if we do all these things without a relationship with God, they're just like filthy rags, these are so-called righteous acts. And they count for nothing. Loving God cannot be described as something that we do to win favour with either God or man. So we don't do it to try to show off or please people to you know, make them think that we look good. Yeah, I'm not a great Christian, you know, I do this and I do that, I don't do this and I don't do that. And equally, loving God isn't just sitting back and being inactive. It can't be. How can we love God and um, there not be any fruit in our lives? And it's certainly not using his, his, his grace as a license to sin or just go our own way. In fact, just thinking about um, you know, people that, that might just want to turn up and be inactive and not, not do a, a great deal in the church or for, for people around them or for God, um, some sort of unresponsive approach to hearing the gospel despite being saved you know it's backsliding isn't it not not moving forward in God and James says that faith without works is dead so if we're in a situation where there's not a great deal going on and we're backsliding then that's something that needs to be addressed 
So what is it then? On the face of it, when you read it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, it's a simple thing. But in reality, it can take a lifetime and it can demand sacrifice. So how about this for a suggestion? It's having our lives function with Christ at the centre of our being. And with Christ at the centre of our being, we allow his influence and love to extend to those around us. Because it's all Jesus. It's not us. It's not our religious efforts. It's him, and it's allowing him to work through us and out towards those around us. It's not me, and it's not my works. It's him. I'm kind of encouraged by this, but also... Um, I don't know, shocked a little bit about it, but we can't even love him properly without him in us and doing it for us almost, it seems. Or certainly being um, cooperative with him having his presence within us extended to those out, to those around us. Loving God will manifest as an outflow of God's glory and presence in us out towards those around us. There's going to be a graph in a moment because it's easier to explain with a graph. (laughs) It's so much better to live it, though. Jesus says some startling things in the Bible. No more startling, perhaps, certainly to my mind at least, that telling us that the kingdom of heaven is found in us. And he prays for believers like you and me the following way in John 17 from verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. So this is the believers that are going to follow afterwards. So that's you and I, all the other Christians. I pray for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world will believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me. You know what the glory is? It's his presence. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So Jesus in us. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus has given us God's glory or presence so that we can be one and love one another and be in unity. The second greatest commandment, to love our neighbours as ourselves. Seems he's worked that one out as well. Okay, so um, he's placed his presence in us. If we were to go to the, the doctor's, and have an x-ray, what would the doctor see? Would he see Jesus in us? So, Emily, are you going to show... Oh, you've got it up already. I think this is um, an x-ray of uh, some of you. It's Herman's. We always pick on Herman, don't we? (laughs) He will sit at the front. But but also he doesn't take offence. But it's Ruth's. It's Esther's. It's Esther's. It's Alex. It's all of you here, if you've accepted Jesus as your saviour. 
Can you see it at the back? A little bit. You probably need some explanation because it's a bit of a cut and paste, of course. Okay, so the outer circle is our body. It's pretty plain what that is. You know, we all have a body, don't we? You know, here I am, stood in mine. And yet, um, in my body, I have uh, a soul, and I also have a spirit. Now, the Bible talks about the threefold nature of man. The science, of course, is not so convinced, and uh, life after death doesn't exist. And um, certainly they know about the body. They'll tell you a lot about the body, not that we just, you know, um, forget about all the stuff that they talk about. There's some very useful um, and important insight that science gives us, you know, praise God. And um, they might tell us a bit about the soul. But they won't tell us much about the spirit, and if they do, then, of course, they're on the wrong track. They're somewhere, somewhere else. And uh, this is one of the dangers, actually, because if you go searching for these sort of diagrams on Google, you'll get some other stuff, <laughs> which isn't this. This is biblical. You'll get a load of Eastern stuff, which uh, is not right. So when you become born again, you have the glory of God placed inside of you. If you're not born again, then your spirit is in darkness and you don't have the glory of God inside of you. So, what we're to do is to somehow get hold of this glory and it needs to go past our spirit, past our soul, and hopefully through our body, through our hands, through our mouth, through our eyes, through all the things we do. And that's how we extend God's love for us. He's placed his presence in us and that's how we're to, to love him, to allow that presence and that flow to extend out to those who are in desperate need of seeing Jesus. We say, let's be Jesus to the world, don't we? What does that mean? Is it just stuff that we do? It could be. But if it was just all those filthy, dirty rags, those righteous acts that amount to nothing, then that's not showing Jesus, is it? Or if it's from the influence of Christ's love in us, extending outwards, then that's showing Jesus to the world generally. So how can we love him if we don't actually acknowledge his presence in us? And I think this is um, part of what the church, and when I say the church, of course, it's the broadest sense. I'm not, not uh, again, pointing fingers at anyone. There's always three coming back at me. But this is what the church is missing. Now, very often we're saying, yeah, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course we should. We need this infilling of the Holy Spirit. But some Christians are not even there. They're not even a place, in a place, sorry, to um, experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But we shouldn't overlook that. And it's certainly worth mentioning in this talk that um, the process starts from the inside out but there's also a filling from the outside in. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as another counsellor and the spirit of truth and says that he will be with us forever. 
And it was only because Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit that he was able to do all the miracles and the works that he did and preach the way he did. So we're no different. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's infilling in us as well. And so did the early church. Acts 2, um, 1 to 4, yeah, tells us um, that uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And yet reading on further into Acts, um, we learn of the boldness of Peter after the infilling of the Holy Spirit, addressing a crowd of Um, a huge crowd and um, 3,000 people being saved. And this is the same Peter that denied Jesus when he was um, going to be sent out to be crucified. So it's this power and this infilling that we need daily in our lives. It's not just a case of um, uh, looking inside. We've got to to look to God and Holy Spirit. And it's a continual infilling as well that we need. It's not just a a one-off thing. I mean, if you're thinking, okay, well, I've received the Holy Spirit um, all the way back in 1975 or whatever it might be, 1990, then uh, that's wonderful, isn't it? But, you know, what's happened since then? It needs to be a continual infilling. D.L. Moody once said that people living on past experiences are living on stale manner. And Paul instructs in instructs the Ephesians not to get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always, giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but I'm reliably told through the books that I've read that um, be filled is actually quite a poor translation. And it's a translation into English, so it sounds right for um, our grammar. But a literal translation of to be filled is be being filled. So it's a continual filling on a daily basis, whatever, well, more than daily basis, ideally. A regular daily, if not more frequent, infilling of the Holy Spirit that will empower our lives to walk by the Spirit rather than the flesh, empowering us to love God, to be submissive to him and desire his will for our lives. I don't know about you, but I know full well that I'm a leaky vessel. And I know that when I don't seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit, then, you know, there's a tendency to drift into the world. These things become less interesting to me and if you can read these things, the fear of God, revelation, worship, hope, faith, prayer. We become prayerless, don't we, without a daily infilling of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Do you ever wonder why it is that um, some Christians 
really go for God and the things of God and others don't. Maybe you don't. <laughs> I do. I wonder why I, I don't do it. You know, what is it that, that stops me? You know, why is it that some people um, are all out for God and others aren't? Is it the case that some are saved and some aren't? I don't think we can lay that claim, can we? Because we believe grace here. And we believe that we're saved by grace. Through faith in Christ Jesus. So do we think that um, there's any less presence, perhaps, in one person than there is in somebody else? Does somebody get more glory of God than another Christian? Are they the ones that, that go off and uh, to Sri Lanka or Malaysia, wherever it could be? I don't believe that's the truth, but um, I believe that for some people, depending on their background or their experience and what they continue to live with and what they continue to have in their lives, there might be blockages to God working within them. And I thought it was very interesting that um, last week, um, Kathy was talking about idols. And, uh, you know, maybe there's, there's stuff there that um, we can relate to this. And um, I'll try to bring that in if I can think about it. But let me just go off um, at a, a slight tangent um, so we can explain this diagram a little bit more fully. And it's to talk about the significance of gates and gateways. And we see them presented in the Old Testament around cities. If you've been to Jerusalem, you'll, you'll see how important it is still in Jerusalem to have these gates. And they're all around and uh, people pray different things depending on where the gate is. And in the Old Testament especially, you'll see that there are references to different types of things that go on in different types of gate. It could be that we see business transactions or legal transactions taking place in a gate. Could be criminal cases and disputes, proclamations even, festivities. Could be um, that they're for protection. And it's even the case that tax collectors are found in gates. So city gateways themselves imagine this is a city for a second or two. If you have a gate here, this is a weak point, isn't it? When we have um, a protective wall around us, if it's a city or if it's a person, or if it's a home, if you have a gateway, then potentially it's weak. Okay, so the gateways that we see in the Bible can also be used in this illustration here. And this is the threefold representation of man, body, soul, and spirit. God works in threes, doesn't he? He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it could be that 
the outflow of God's glory in your life is being restricted by something which is positioned at one of these gateways. And it could be that it's something that you've placed there, willingly or unwillingly, or it could be that it's something that's come down your generational line. Of course, what we're talking about is deliverance of some nature or other. We have to be very careful what we allow our eyes to look at. I'm not so sure about smell. Maybe we do for some people. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, I'm sure there is something which could be bad. Certainly what we need to, to listen to. Be careful about that. What we talk about and how we use the sense of touch, you know, what are we doing with it? This is a two-way thing. We're, we're, we're seeing here that this is allowing the presence or glory of God to flow out to those around us. But we also take things in, don't we, through our body, but also through our soul and also through our spirit, depending on how we position ourselves. Just to take a natural example, if you were to learn a foreign language, for example, um, you would use um, sight, you would use hearing, and um, you would also... Yeah, mouth. mouth, yeah, thank you. Where's the mouth? Taste. Taste, yeah, there it is. Yeah, sorry, yeah, can't see for looking. If you to learn cooking with Herman, <laughs> you'd have smell as well, wouldn't you? Maybe. Okay. So, um, my challenge to you this morning is, you know, is there something that you could see in this chart which would take you um, from allowing 